Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. A society where relationships have become disposable. There's problems. Just get rid of him. Just get rid of her. You can find another relationship. Disposable relationships. But I believe deep down inside of every one of us is this yearning for a marriage that would go the distance. A marriage that would go 60 years. That that song would be our story. Paul Turnier is a great Christian psychologist. I read every one of his books because they're so full of wisdom. In one of his books, he writes this. There is no such thing as incompatibility in marriage. Only people who refuse to become compatible. I believe that with all my heart. He's saying that any relationship, whether it's with a brother or sister or with your parent or with a child that's gone bad or with the one that you're married to, any relationship can get better if we'll take all this energy we're pouring into negativity and turn it into positive things. Do something positive. He's saying that the only person that we really have any control over, that we can change, is ourself. That's why I often say, draw a circle around yourself and start there to improve things. Because the only person you can ever improve is you. And if you improve you, everything improves. But the question is always this. Am I willing to do what it takes to improve myself? And so many people say, no, that's too hard. You know, a lot of us have taken up this 21-day challenge. And we're wearing this green wristband that says a complaint-free person. For 21 days... To go without a single complaint. Or you have to start back at day one. You know, for me, this this little reminder here really is helping me to improve as a Christian man. But i got to tell you, I've heard a few stories. Heard a few stories. Not many. But a few stories of people saying, I'm not going to play that game. I'm a complainer. And that's just the way I am. I'm not going to change. And i got to tell you, when I hear that, my heart sinks. Because Jesus, or, or the, the, the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Do not complain. It's a commandment. Every time we complain, we are disobedient to the Lord. Grumbling. And when a person says, 
no, I'm not going to stop complaining. What they're saying to Jesus is, I don't care what you say, I'm going to be disobedient. And it just breaks my heart. Where people won't work upon themselves. One of my favorite books is on marriage is by Joyce Meyer. It's called, Help Me, I'm Married. <laughs> the reason I love this book so much is she's so transparent about how much trouble this major Christian speaker in our country had in her marriage. She had lots of problems in her marriage. And one of my favorite parts is when she said, let me read it to you. I had a list of things that would be better if Dave would do this and our kids would do that. I was unhappy and hard to get along with because they weren't treating me right. Isn't that the way most people think? Almost everyone blames their bad behavior and their situation on someone else. Then God said to me, Dave is not your problem. It was as, as if my eyes were opened and I could finally see what it was like to live with me. What a great line. I finally could see what it was like to live with me. I saw that I was a nag, critical, and hard to get along with. I cried for three days. I love that line. I finally saw what it was like to live with me. What's it like to live with you? Have you ever thought about that? What's it like to live with you? In John chapter 5, Jesus finds an invalid who was blaming everyone else around him for his problems not getting, getting solved. He was blaming everyone else for the lack of healing in his life. And in the scripture reading, as I explained, the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda in Hebrew means mercy. It was a pool of mercy. Because it was believed that from time to time an angel came to this pool. And when he stirred the water, the first one in was healed. This man was blaming everyone else for not helping him into the pool. For 38 years, this man had laid by this pool, blaming other people for his lack of healing. Now, I tell you, if I'd been there for 38 years, I would have thought to roll next to the edge so that just one more roll and I was in. But not this guy. He expected everybody else to put him in and not do anything for himself. And Jesus walks up to him and says, Do you want to be healed? What a silly question. Why do you think I'm here? It's not a silly question. Immediately this guy blames all these people around him to Jesus. Don't you see, he can't think outside of his little box. He is fixated on the only solution in my life for my problem is you. All of you. You've got to stop being so selfish and put me in the water first, then I'll be okay. 
he, he had this little box in thinking that my only problem is you. And if you would change, then I'm going to be healed. And right standing right in front of him is the healer. But he couldn't see it. Because he was sure they were the solution. It's just us. We're just so sure that these people changing, my husband or wife changing, that's going to solve my problem. Whereas the healer is standing right in front of us. And he says, you know what? I can heal you and change you. And if you change, everything changes. And Jesus says to him, strings three imperatives together. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Was that tone right? How do you think he said those three imperatives to him? Get up, pick up your pallet and walk? No. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Notice the healing comes when the man stops looking to others and obeys Jesus' three commandments. Three commandments Jesus gave him, and only when he surrendered and decided to obey, obey them as impossible as they look was he healed. And this is such a powerful message to us today. Instead of negativity toward whomever we have a troubled relationship with, we need to change the focus from that, draw a circle around ourselves, and to begin to obey Jesus' relational commandments. And when we begin to obey Jesus' commandments, there's going to be healing. Things are going to get fixed. we got to make what I call healing choices. I see this all the time. People who have lose one job after another, people who go through one relationship after another, people who have the same cycle of problems, unwilling to draw a circle around themselves and start to make healing choices in their own obedience to Jesus Christ. As clearly as I can say this, the reason many marriages don't improve is because we're unwilling to make these different healing choices to obey God's commandments. When I marry people, part of the vows they make to each other is this. I promise to love, cherish, treasure you, and to be your best friend forever. Those vows will make any relationship better. And it will be part of the vows that we use uh, in another two weeks in the vow renewal ceremony, which I hope you sign up for. If we kept those promises, no matter how good your marriage is or how bad it is, it would improve. This morning, I'd like to talk about what it means to be best friends in a marriage. Best friends. And the first thing it means is friends don't hold grudges. Friends forgive. 
You know, this is going to apply to a parent maybe you're having a hard time with, or to a brother or somebody at work. To be friends, you can't hold grudges. Dear Abby got this letter. Dear Abby, I'm a four, I am 44 years old and would like to meet a man of similar age with no bad habits. <laughs> Abby's answer was a single sentence. So would I. <laughs> C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I'm a sinful man married to a sinful woman. All the best marriages are. We begin to think, oh, they found somebody who's perfect. No. The best marriages are the way they are because they don't hold grudges. They know the other has faults, but they overlook faults. That's what best friends do. The best marriages are that way because they know that a friend who's always trying to correct your faults is not your friend. They're your critic. They're not your friend. They're your critic. You can't be best friends with a critic. So I want to ask you this. If your spouse or your children were asked to list on paper the names of three people Three people who most often criticize them. Would your name be on the list? If they listed the three people who most often criticize them, would your name be on the list? Now I know what some of you are thinking. If I don't criticize them, they won't know what they're doing is wrong. That's not true. I guarantee you they know what you think already. They already know what you think. You don't need to repeat it again. Because you're becoming their critic. And best friends are not critic. Instead you need to encourage them. You need to overlook at least three things a day. And leave at least three things unsaid with the help of this wristband. You need to get positive. If you want a positive relationship, get positive with this sinful person. Because if you're negative, that's what you'll get. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to get a negative relationship. So find something to be positive about. Dr. Gary Smalley is one of America's most respected marriage counselors. And he's written a book I highly recommend. Titles on the screen, Making Love Last a Lifetime. And one of the chapters in this book is entitled, The Number One Enemy of Love, Unresolved Anger. Did you know that unresolved anger is the number one reason for divorce in America? Did you know it's the number one reason why love cools and goes cold? Surely someone is angry this morning. I mean, anybody angry here? In a cycle of anger in relationship? It could be with your ex. You know, one of the myths around is a divorce will solve the problems with that person. No, it doesn't. 
Exes keep pushing our crazy button. They keep getting at us. Divorce doesn't solve that. Draw a circle around yourself and change your reactions. Shrink your crazy button. But I'll bet you there are people here who have a whole list of grievances against someone. Jesus all asks us the same question this morning that he asked the invalid by the pool. Do you want to be healed? If you want to be healed, then regardless of how the other is behaving, get up and obey Jesus' commandments. And one of them is in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, where in verse 5 it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs or grudges. Love keeps, holds on to no grudges. The Greek word there for grudge or wrong is an accounting term. It's the term used for, that an accountant would use to describe the ledger of deducts, debits, that this person has. You've got a ledger, a list of deducts on some person? Jesus comes and says, do you want to be healed? Then obey my commandment. Love keeps no list of grievances. Friends do not keep a record of grievances or deducts. Do you have a best friend who's keeping a list of your deducts? Friends, let it go. That's why they're best friends. Surely someone here this morning needs to think outside of your box and to begin to obey Jesus' commandment to forgive and let it go. Now someone is surely going to say to me in the lobby, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't know. I really don't know what they did to you. But I know this. The person you're holding a grudge against cannot go back and change what they did. No one can go back in the past and change what they did. So sometimes the best thing to do about the past is get over it. Just get over it. Because nobody can go back and change it. If you want to be healed in the inside, if you want to have abundant life, if you want your marriage to be a dream marriage, you got to get over it. And do what Jesus said. Forgive as I have forgiven you. That's a healing choice. So Jesus says, do you want your marriage to be healed or a relationship at work? Then obey my commandment. Get up and forgive as I have forgiven you. You see what I mean? People say they want it, but do they really? Draw a circle around yourself and start there. Secondly, best friends treasure each other, and that's spelled T-I-M-E, time. I have a very funny book. It's called The Stupid Crook Book. And this is stories, real-life stories, of the dumb things robbers have done. And one of my favorite is from uh, West Virginia. 
this guy who had a knife held up this person who didn't have much cash on them, just credit cards, so he accepted a $300 check. (laughs) Guess where he was arrested? (laughs) At the bank trying to cash the check. But the other great one was, in Tennessee, a robber realized that he had left his Nikes in the home he had just burglarized. So what does he do? (laughs) He goes up to the front door and knocks on it and asks the lady if she's seen his Nikes. And she called the cops. (laughs) If you're living at the speed of light, then your marriage is time-starved probably. And it's stealing, it's robbing you from the marriage you could have. Living at the speed of light will never build a dream marriage. For one thing, your communication has probably been reduced to report talk. You know report talk? The game's at five, dinner's at seven, pick up her at nine, pick up him at eight. The heater just went out. That's report talk. Because you don't have time to connect heart to heart like friends do. You got to wake up and identify the time stealers in your marriage because best friends require time together. Jim Croce had a number one hit called Time in a Bottle. And the chorus of this song was, There never seems to be enough time with the one you love. It became a number one hit. When it hit the charts, three days later, his private plane crashed and he was killed. And his wife, Ingrid, that next year or so, had to hear the song everywhere, reminding her, never assume you're going to have more time with the person you love. You just never know. Too many marriages put their friendship on hold until I make it in my business, until our kids get older. Then we'll take walks and we'll have time just the two of us like we did when we were dating. When we get a new house and get it decorated, someday we'll have more time to talk. When the kids are grown and gone, when I'm retired and don't have to work so hard, then we'll have time. Someday, it'll be like when we first dated. I think one of the saddest words in the English language is someday. Because so often someday turns into if only. If only I had my priorities straight. If only... We had spent more time together as friends. If only we had made memories together and made the time to make those memories together. Time. If you're living like a hamster on one of those spinning wheels, make a different choice. Make time to build friendships with people it's a little rough with. Make time for people, but especially in your family. For one thing, busyness reduces conversations to just facts. There's not time enough for heart-to-heart communication. And you know that's especially true with little kids, isn't it? 
You can't go up to a little kid and say, let's have some quality time together now. Tell me what you're thinking. You know when that happens? You're just hanging out. You never know when a kid is going to start to talk. You can't schedule that. You've got to make time just being together. And time-starved marriages have less and less fun together. It's an amazing thing. We date. We have a lot of fun together. Then we go on our honeymoon and a switch clicks. Now i got to build my career. Now i got to... And everything changes. What happened to that fun? The time we used to have together. You got to have fun together, just the two of you, in order to build close friendships. You know, marriages that aren't once in a while having a date night, not maybe not every week, maybe it's every two weeks. Marriages that aren't going away for a night just to have fun together, going out. Marriages where we're just too tired, we're working so hard. All I can say is no one's holding a gun to your head and making you have that kind of schedule. You have choices. Gandhi famously said, there is more to life than increasing speed. I love that. More to life than increasing speed. Time-starved marriages also end up serving each other leftovers. I'm not talking food. I'm talking leftover energy. I'm talking leftover emotion. Best friends aren't built on leftovers. This is not easy, though. Habits are hard to break. And one of the most difficult habits to break are our time habits. We've got lots of time habits. And they've got to change if our marriage is going to change, our relationship is going to change. Let me tell you some healing choices that are going to be difficult for marriages with kids still at home. It's to decide that your kids don't have to do all that they're doing right now so that you, the two of you can do something together. I meet so many marriages where every night there's taxing kids here and there and Saturday and Sunday. And it's taxi. Do this, this, this. Kids are involved. They're overscheduled. And the two husband and wife don't have any time together anymore. You work, then come home and... Taxi your kids. Our kids are overscheduled in America. I'm going to get radical and say this. You've got to have the courage in our culture to say, no, my kids don't do everything. They're not doing that. Do you know what I think is happening? I have never read in the Bible, maybe you have, or any parenting book that makes it a commandment that our kids have to be scheduled for all of these things. There's no such commandment. You know where I think it comes from? The pressure of other parents for us to be a good parent. You mean your kids aren't doing that? They're going to fall behind. The pressure of parenting, of parents upon parents, is enormous 
about being a good parent. I see marriage after marriage in trouble, not as close as they would like to be because they've allowed their kids to take priority over their relationship. And that's a big mistake. The security that our children need more than anything else is to know that their mom and dad are best friends. You know, if you're not best friends and there's strife in this family or you get a divorce, it's the kids who lose. More than anything, they need you to be best friends. And sometimes that might mean, honey, I can't be at that game. There's no rule that says we have to be at every game. No rule that says that. I can't be there tonight, honey, because it's our date night. Your kids need to hear. Mom and dad have date nights and put each other first sometimes. So schedule date nights. Take your calendar out. Go three months ahead. And at least every couple of weeks, go to a movie or do something. Just the two of you. Not with your family or your parents. Just the two of you. There's another choice. Turn your cell phone off. Put your land phone on mute. Turn off the TV. Put the kids in the room. And for ten minutes a day... Just answer those two questions I've recommended to you. What was the high point of your day today and why? And what was the low point of your day and why? Those two simple questions open up a little of your heart, what's going on inside of you. And that's what you need to be best friends. Best friends go and they have a meal together. And what do they do? They share how their life is going. That's what we need to do in a marriage. That's the way you build a relationship with a parent that isn't so good. And if you're a Christian, do something very Christian like pray with one another for just three or four minutes. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can. It's incredible the power of just saying a few sentences to God for the one you love, what that does in relieving conflict in a marriage. It's hard to fight with somebody you've just prayed for. It's one of the best things you could do in your marriage. In the vow renewal ceremony, the promise you'll make to each other is to be best friends forever. And that requires different time choices. Let me say it this way. Half of knowing what you want is knowing what you miss, must give up to get it. People all the time say, I want that. But they won't give up something to get that. Half of getting what you want is knowing what you must give up to get that. And then finally, best friends know when to hold their tongue Jesus asked each of us this morning, do you want a relationship to improve with someone? Then obey my commandments about your tongue. 
James chapter 1 verse 19 says, Let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to lose our tempers. For our angry words are never God's way of achieving goodness. The Bible is saying there, forget about being best friends if you can't hold your tongue. That's what this wristband reminds me. That's why I'm so enthusiastic about it. It reminds me, is there a better way to say what I'm about to say? It reminds me to leave three things unsaid every day. It reminds me that if I'm angry, this is not the best time to talk. I better wait until I cool down. That's how this is helping me improve. Draw a circle around yourself and start there. At the vow renewal ceremony, you'll make this promise to love, cherish, and treasure you and to be your best friend forever. You know what I'm observing? There are a lot of Christians with pagan tongues. You know what I think we ought to do? You need to baptize your tongue. (laughs) Most everybody here needs to go home this afternoon. When you walk into the kitchen, get a bowl of water and stick your tongue in it and baptize it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm serious. Because we got all these Christians with disobedient tongues. Pagan tongues. Go home and baptize your tongue as a Christian today. And that will do enormous things for your marriage and your relationship. So I'm just saying, think outside the box. And that primarily means these people aren't your solution. You and Jesus are your solution. So draw a circle around yourself and start there. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. You know, even if you don't believe in God, just out of respect of other people, they don't want you watching them while they're praying. Honest to God, whose name came to mind? How did the Holy Spirit prod you this morning? You know, the question is, inside of us, as you heard this message in the scripture read and about baptizing your tongue and all of this, were you saying no? Change that no to yes. When you heard about forgiving someone and just letting it go, did you say no? Change it to yes. Become obedient to Jesus Find healing. Now just in the quietness of your heart, what one thing would you ask Jesus to help you do? To change about yourself. Just one thing. One relationship. Just tell him. Lord Jesus, thank you for all of these honest prayers. And I pray many of us have changed our no to yes. 
And I pray you'd honor these prayers with heavenly power and for healing. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful. So we hope you can come.